You're listening to the Harbor Worship Center podcast with Pastor Mike Saint. For more information about the Harbor Worship Center, please visit us at harborwc.com. Enjoy today's message. Moment, I'm going to read that um, in Psalm 24, and I wanted to recap and let you know that we can approach Him. I said we can approach God. Now, I want you to know that oftentimes we don't come to Him and we don't do certain things because of our perception. How many of you know that your perception, in other words, the way you see things, is often your reality? Have you ever seen the pictures, I wish I had one with me right now, but I don't, where it, it looked like maybe an old witch with, with a hat on and a long crooked nose and just ugly as all get out. And then you turn your head just a little bit and cock your eyes just a little bit and all of a sudden there's a beautiful young girl. It had to do with the way you perceived it. You know, one person sees um, this ugly witch and another sees a beautiful girl. And so our perception is our reality. And what I want you to know is that the closer we get to God, the more we scrutinize ourselves. I'll help you right here. Isaiah said, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And all remember that? He said, the seraphims cried, holy, holy, and all of that. And, and when he saw the Lord, he said three words. Do you remember what they were? Woe is me. Well, he said more than that, but woe is me, for I am undone. In other words, when he saw the holiness of God, he all of a sudden got a grip on how unholy he was. In other words, have you ever thought you had made some real progress until you saw somebody that had really made progress? We was practicing guitar parts some months back or a year or so ago now. And man, I, I sat at the computer and I really thought I had nailed this part down. I got over to Mike's house and he played that thing. I said, man, I ain't playing that nothing like that. And uh, man, I went on. I was, I, I was aggravated because I had wasted a lot of time and learned the part wrong. And what I'm saying is this, is when, when we get around God and the holiness of God, we realize how unholy and how profane and how, how lacking we are. Let me give you an example. This brother said, it used to bother me that the closer I drew to God in my walk with Him, the more sinful that I felt. It was a phenomenon that I observed in my bedroom one evening and it enlightened me. A tiny gap was in the curtain covering my window that threw a ray of light into my room. And as I looked at that ray of light, I saw the particles of dirt and dust drifting in the beam of light. Without the ray of light, the room appeared to be perfectly clean. But when the light came in, it revealed the particles everywhere. Has anybody ever done that? Where you were in maybe a spotless house, everything looked great, but a ray of light came through and you could see just dust particles all in the ray of light. And you did not realize how dirty things were until you saw them floating in the ray of light. Well, God is light and in Him there is no darkness, no variable of shadow or turning. Amen. And the closer we get to Him, the more we uh, disdain the ugly things that's in our life. Let me go. He says, what I observed shed light on my spiritual condition. 
The closer I approach the Lord of light, the clearer I see myself. When the light of Christ shines in the darkness of our lives, it exposes the sin. Not to discourage us, but to humble us to trust Him. We cannot depend on our own righteousness since we are sinners and fall short of God's standard. When we are proud, the light reveals our heart, uh, reveals it to our heart, and um, we cry as Isaiah did, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and mine eyes have seen the Lord, the King, or the King, the Lord Almighty. God is absolutely perfect in every way. Approaching Him then calls for humility and Christ-like trust, not self-importance and self-pride, for it is by grace that He draws us to Himself. And it is good for us to feel that unworthy as we draw closer to God, for it humbles us to rely and trust in Him alone. What you've got to understand is this. Isaiah said in 55... Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Are y'all hearing me? Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We, we, we're nothing. He said, in other words, our right doing, our good is at best bad. Filthy rags. And uh, so he says, but... It is in Him that we have righteousness. It is in Him that we live and that we move and we have our being. Let's look at Psalm chapter 24. It's a psalm of David. The Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and its fullness, the world and those that dwell therein. That's a big statement. He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in His holy place? Now think about that question before we move on. Who may ascend into the hill of God? Who may stand in the holy presence of the Lord? And I've told you that He is approachable, that we can come to Him, and we can. But the psalmist asked these questions, uh, you know... Um, they're celebrating the return of the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. You, you remember me telling you about Uzzah who died when he reached out to stable the Ark and all of that because the Lord had said, do not touch. Well, in the light of all of this, this psalm is written. And he asked the question, he says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. He says, who is it that can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in this holy place? Verse 4 says... It is he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Did you get that? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, he has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Verse 6 says, This is Jacob, uh, the generation of those who... Uh, seek Him, who seek your face. And then he went into this other chorus, and I'll just go ahead and read it 
uh, through verse 10. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Uh, who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, lift them up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He's the King of glory. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And again, if I'm writing this, or if I'm reading this in the light of the Ark of the Covenant that represents the presence of God that is coming back home, then the question is asked, who is it that can ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Who is it that can approach God? And I want to say to you that you and I can approach the Lord. Now, I want to make a few observations tonight, if I may. I want to first observe that the earth, uh, or rather the Lord, has all the rights. Because the Bible says, it is He that has created us and not we ourselves. Amen? I looked at that little baby last night and I thought to myself, how did a billion cells start in, you know, when the sperm meets the egg and all of a sudden, you know, I can't remember if they said it's a billion cells or a trillion. It doesn't really matter. It's a whole lot of them. That they know exactly what to do and where to go and how to start forming. And I believe, if I'm correct, 18 days later, that little heart starts beating for the first time. Are you all with me? And then all of this comes to order. And then, you know, 40 weeks later, there's that beautiful baby boy. The handiwork of God. We are created in the image of God. Amen? And we can indeed approach God. Matter of fact, did you know that humanity is the apple of God's eye? We are the chief creation. We are the highest order of created things. Period. And he says that we... Uh, he, he has the rights because He's the Creator. The earth is the Lord's. He is the owner of it all. He owns everything. He, uh, he has everything in His control. And then I read what the psalmist David would say to us in Psalm 139. You know, I remember running from the Lord for five years. And the Lord called me to preach. Now it's a stupid thing to run from someone who holds the earth in His hands. It's a silly thing to run from someone who seats, he's seated in heaven and props his feet upon the earth. It's silly to try to run from someone who tells the sun when to shine. It's silly to try to run from someone who makes the clouds a chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. It's silly to try to run from someone who spoke and said, let there be light and there was light. Or who said, let the grass come forth and clothe the earth, and the earth was clothed. Or, or who clothes the lilies in the fields, and no one is likened to them. Or who provides for the sparrow who does not plant nor sow, nor gather into barns. It's silly to try to run from somebody like the Lord. But David said, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be like light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day and the darkness as the light are both alike to you. Amen? Have you ever noticed that darkness 
and light cannot dwell in the same room. Are you hearing me? Now we may dim it down a little bit, but when light invades the room, if we tell them to hit the switch and all the lights come up, all the darkness has got to go. Amen? And so I'm telling you that, that, well, He is the light of the world. You know that. He said that. Um, He owns and operates the universe as He sees fit. Here's what blows my mind. I have said that He is an approachable God. We can go to Him. You know what He said? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Open the door. Let me come in with you. He's an approachable God. You know what David said in chapter 8 of the Psalms? He says, when I consider the work of the heavens, when I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars in which you have ordained, he says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou would visit him? When I think of God and His greatness and how big God is and all that God has to do, when I think of that and I think of who you are and all that's going on in the universe, He said, what is man? What are we that God would be mindful of us? But yet He says, I am. But yet He says, pray because I hear your prayers. Cry unto me. You know what He said more than that? Beyond that, did you know what? Tears, the Bible says, are kept in his bottle. Y'all didn't know that, did you? And they are a language that God understands. Amen. When you hurt, he says, call unto me. Cry out to me. Let me hear you. See, no matter what happens to us, no matter what befalls us, no, no matter what, he is in charge. My steps are ordered of the Lord. God is working things for my good. He's working His plan in my life. And He's working for my destiny. Now, so so the Lord has rights, you understand. Because He owns it. The Bible says that He is our Creator. And we are the sheep of His pasture. Right? We're the sheep of His pasture. It's not like we own everything and that He's the sheep that we own. Tend to no no no, that'd be backwards. But he created it all, so so he has the rights. Then, in order to be near him and to come into his presence, he has some requirements. So in verse number three, it said uh, of of Psalm twenty four, in verse number three, it says, "Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands, he that hath a pure heart." And I want to say this. The two are kind of the same, but let me help you. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the issues of life flow. Did you know that? The Bible says guard your heart because out of your heart flows the issues of life. Did you know, when I say our heart and I think of our hands and our feet, did you know our hands and our feet literally walk out the thoughts of our heart? If your feet are swift to evil, it's because you thought it here. If your hands run to mischief, it's because it went through the neocortex here. Are y'all hearing me? Say amen. We, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. 
If all you think about is negative things, you're going to be a negative person. If all you think about is um, how bad things are and it's never going to get any better, that's all you're going to talk about. You're going to find yourself negative and you're going to gravitate to negative people. On the other hand, if you hear the word of the Lord, if you are positive and you say, you know what, I am told to walk by faith and not by sight. I don't care how bad it looks. I'm going to trust in God till something else shows up. Now that is indeed faith. When we have to, when we don't have nothing, you know what the Bible says faith is? Faith is the substance of what we hope for and the evidence of what we don't yet see. And then Hebrews 11 and 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we got to have faith in order to please Him, but faith is the substance uh, uh, of things that we hope for. Now, substance is something that you can hold, isn't it? Faith is the substance. Faith is what I can hold on to until what I'm wanting shows up. Now, I'm not talking about name and claim it, but faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it is also not a substance to hold on to, but it is the very evidence that what I'm praying for is coming. <laughs> so you've got to be willing to hold on. Sometimes it's like you're holding on to nothing. You remember the little widow woman that was about to die, didn't have nothing but a little bit of meal in a barrel and a little bit of oil on a cruise? And the prophet Elijah, the preacher, come by and said, well, why don't you make me a cake first? You know, just like the man of God. That's all he wants. He come here and take an offering here and knowing I ain't got nothing. But you know what, Elisha, Elisha, not Elijah. Well, this is Elijah I'm talking about. Let me skip on over to his protege real quick, or his contemporary. Elisha asked the woman, you remember, he went to a, a prophet's widow whose sons was about to be taken to the slave market because the prophet died owing some money, if you could imagine that. And she couldn't pay it off, so they're coming to get my boys. And he asked her, he said, what do you have? She said, nothing. I ain't got nothing. Except I do have just this little bit of oil. He said, well, praise God for what you do have. That's, that's a lesson right there. We ought to just say, you know what? Praise God for what we do have. Now, let me say this, in both cases, I don't know how in the world I've opened up Elijah and Elisha, and both of them talking about oil, but nonetheless, he says to this widow woman, uh, if you will make me a cake first, and he don't really tell her what's going to happen, but he's just asking her and believing that she'll trust him. Did you know when God allows us to go through hard situations sometimes, it's a test. He's just wanting to see how much you do trust him. And he said, well, just make me a cake first. She goes and makes him a cake, and guess what? When she comes back in the kitchen, the barrel of meal, I know she uh, good and well poured out a whole cake of meal, and there it is. It hadn't even moved. It's still in the barrel. I poured out some oil, and I mixed it all up, and I fried it, and I took it to the prophet, and I come back, and lo and behold, there it is. And the Bible says every time she went to the barrel of meal and the cruise of oil, neither one of them failed until God sent rain back on the earth. So what was it? It was his word that said, make me a cake first. And she says, all right, I've got some faith. And I'm going to put some action with it. I'm going to take this little bit that I do have. Now, I'm not about to receive an offering, so don't get all antsy. I know y'all church people, man, he's about to call the ushers. He, this little bit of meal, I got a little bit of oil. I'm going to take this and I'm going to trust it in God's hand. Well, guess what? This woman over here whose son's are about to die, she could have said, well, this is all I've got left. 
This is it. He said, what is it that you do have? She said, well, I ain't really got nothing, but, but I do have this. He says, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you have your boys go, go borrow a bunch of vessels, vessels, jars. Go get them. And he said, don't get a few of them. Get all you need. Don't borrow just a few. Go get all you need. And she held on to this little bit right here. And they got back home and Elisha said, well, go in the room. Take your boys. Take that that you do have and use it. Take that that you do have. It ain't but a little bit here. Y'all see it. But take that that you do have and start pouring it in these jars that you've borrowed and washed and cleaned. So a boy hands mama a jar and mama pours it. And mama hands this jar to the other boy and he puts the lid on it and puts it over against the wall. Another jar. Well, lo and behold, she's already poured four or five times what she had to start with. But I still got that and so she poured it again. She poured this whole jar. So she got another jar and she just kept on pouring. What is that? Faith is the substance of what we hope for and the very evidence of what we don't yet see. She held on to the promise and that little bit of oil and said, you know what, I'm going to use the faith of God and I'm going to keep on and just see what shows up. And when she got done, she said, jar please. And the boy said, mama, we ain't got no more. Let me ask you all, what if she had borrowed another 200? You know what the prophet told her to do? Go sell all the oil, pay your bills, and live on the rest. What if she had borrowed 200 more jars? She could have lived a little better. She had enough to pay the debt anyway. Why? Faith. Lord have mercy. He's got some requirements. So who is it that can come before him? He said, he that's got clean hands and pure heart. You see, when you break it all down, these two are the same because, as I said, as we think, so we are. Now, see, the Lord requires outward holiness and inward holiness. Y'all know what that is? Inward holiness and outward holiness. Now, some people are all they got is outward holiness. Oh, praise God, brother. And then they cuss their cat out, you know. Glory to God. How are you doing? Highly favored and blessed of the Lord most high. Uh, and when they get home and the wife had burnt the pork chops, they cuss a blue streak. Go out on the back porch and get sloppy drunk. That's called a hypocrite. Are y'all hearing me? That's a hypocrite. Inward holiness. See, we believe in walking in the light as the light shines upon our path. We believe in what they said, walking circumspectly. We believe in talking and walking along the same path. I don't tell you to do something, then I go do something totally opposite. So, you know what? James wrote something about that. James says that we ought to have faith and works. Don't just tell me you love... I have people say, oh, I love God. No, you don't love God because your life would show that you love God and your deeds would line up with someone that loves God. If you really love God, you ain't got to tell me. You know why? I'm going to see you loving on God. I'm going to see you with your hands raised toward heaven. I'm going to see your name come across. Man, I was a big giver Sunday. I ain't saying you've got to be the biggest giver to love God. Don't get me wrong. It might be just a token of your tithe. Uh, uh, it might be just a love offering. Whatever, but it's going to be something that we're going to do that's going to indicate to others that we do indeed love God.
Mm-hmm. All right. So, so faith and works, we've got to have both. I want to tell you something. We are not saved by works. I want you to know that. There ain't no, you can't work enough and love on me enough as your pastor to get to heaven. You can't do it. You could buy me a new car or truck, by the way, if you're going to do it. Uh, but anyway, you could do all of that and it wouldn't make no difference. All of your works don't matter if you don't have no faith. We cannot get saved. It is by, you know, we're saved by grace through faith, that not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. But I would submit to you that if indeed I am in the faith, and I do have faith in God, it is going to produce works. It is. I can't help it. It is. If I've, if I've put my faith in Him, He is my Lord, man, I'm telling you, I'm going to want to serve Him. Amen? Ah, okay. So, so James said faith and works. If there's faith, I believe there's going to be works. Not, you know, Jesus talked about people said, there are those who um, say with their lips they love me, and yet lie to me with their tongues. Doing lip service. Saying one thing, doing another. Professing one thing and living another. James addressed that too and said, sweet water and bitter don't come out of the same fountain. Amen? No. Uh, we go down to the river and we get one or the other. So, um, the Lord requires undivided loyalty. Um, he that has not lifted up his soul unto idols. This don't mean that the Lord requires perfection because if that's the case, all of us are messed up. If he requires us to be perfect to come, none of us can go. Huh? That's right. Um, Jesus was the only one perfect. None of us could make it. But it does not mean... Uh, but what it does mean is that we must submit to his lordship. We must confess our sins and, and repent. To confess means to say, I've done it. Repent says, I'm going to turn away from them. The Lord requires that kind of integrity from his followers. Let me just share this with you, and I'll try to tie it up. In Hebrews 10, 19. I shared, I believe, well, no, I didn't use 10. I, I use Hebrews, this is what I use Sunday, 4 and 13. It said, there's no creature hidden from his light, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all manner tempted in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what we learned on Sunday. That, that we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in te- he was tempted in all manner like we are yet without sin. That's why Jesus took upon, he laid aside the robe of divinity and put upon the robe of humanity and became flesh and dwelt among us. Became a servant and died. And it was tough. But he knows what it's like to go through what we go through. He can identify with our pain, with our sorrow, with all of the rejection. He, he knows. He said, I was a man of sorrows, a man rejected of men, beaten and smitten and rejected. Are y'all hearing me say amen? Even in his dying hour when his father turned away and he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hebrews 10 and 19 says, therefore, brethren, 
having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we can, because of what Jesus did, we can come, come to him. We were once strangers and aliens away from God. But because of what he has done, we now are brought into the family. Let me read this other and then we'll, uh, we'll do something else. Ephesians 2 and 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. You remember me talking about the veil that was between the holy place and the holy of holies. And the veil was torn in two. So that now, not just a high priest, not just a bishop, not just somebody else can go to God. And you don't have to wait on them to talk to God for you. But that we could all go to God. And hey, the beautiful thing is this. We don't have to go to Jerusalem to do it. Amen? I got some friends of mine that's there now. But we don't have to be in the holy city to do it. But we can hit our knees anywhere and say, God, I need you. And if we'll call on the Lord Jesus Christ, even if we are steeped in sin, and simply, here's the prayer. And let me clear something up. Can I just take just a moment and clear something up? I see people sometimes who are steeped in sin. Sometimes even relatives. Steeped in sin. Something goes wrong in their life and they say, well, y'all please help me pray about this issue. They ain't talking about getting saved or nothing. They just want God to fix their transmission. Or God to fix their boss's attitude or something like that. I want you to know that as a sinner, God is not required to answer any prayer whatsoever except that of Jesus, would you please forgive me and come into my heart. Now once we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior... And he presents us blameless before the Father, then we've got something to stand on. We've got a leg to stand on then. Amen? Anyway, let me let me go on. So um he's torn down the wall, he's uh broken the wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from uh, the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in the one body through the cross by putting the putting to death the enmity, and came and preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit. To the Father. And then Jeremiah reminded us in 29 and 13, if we'll seek Him, we'll find Him when we seek Him with all of our heart. I'm going to tell you something. Hear me. If you get hungry for God, if you get hungry for the Lord, you can come into His presence. Amen. We don't come pompous and arrogant, but we come... You know, who, who does the Lord want? That person with a broken and a contrite spirit. That person that comes to God not as a know-it-all, but says, Lord, I surrender all. Lord, I don't have to have my way anymore. 
Lord, it don't have to go like I thought anymore. I just want your will to be done. Even Jesus taught us in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass for me. But nonetheless, if I must drink this bitter cup, if it has to be this way, if I have to die on the cross, if I have to be beaten, if I have to have a thorn, a crown of thorns planted on my head, if they have to gamble on my vesture, if they have to slap me in the face and spit upon me, if it must be, then let it be. I'm asking, is there any other way? And for three hours he prayed that prayer. Three times, an hour each, saying, God, if there's any other way, but nevertheless, Lord, if this is how it's got to be, give me the strength to go endure it. And he endured it to the end. And because of what he did, you and I now can approach the Father. Because he took the beating that we deserved. Because he endured what we should have endured. You and I. Now, you see... He died there so that we could live. Amen? He became that supreme sacrifice so that you and I could have access to God. So that, see, because we were out of fellowship with God, there was a great barrier. Jeremiah said it was our iniquities that had separated us from God. Did you know until the cross of Calvary, mankind had not been in the presence of God since Eden? I'm not saying that, I mean, God would overshadow certain brothers or sisters to do great exploits. For instance, God would move upon Abraham or have an angel come visit him, but mankind had not walked in fellowship and communion with God since Eden. Since mankind, since Adam and Eve was placed out of the garden and an angel there uh, to guard the way, and from that point on there was a separation from the creation of God, which is us, uh, His chief creation, and the Creator Himself. And there was thousands of years that mankind did not walk in communion and fellowship with God, but Jesus Christ, as I've said so many times, took the hand of the Father and the hand of His creation and brought them together at Mount Calvary. And now we can come boldly before the throne of God to obtain grace to help in time of need. Jesus has presented you and I to the Father. He, when He went back to heaven, He would be able to say, I have accomplished the mission. I have reconciled. I have made a way for them to come back to you. The devil thought he had them gone forever. But I've made a way for man to have access back to God. Just an incredible story. Amen? Incredible story. And I want you to know this as I... Just go ahead and stand with me and I'll just know to hush. I want you to know that in the eternal kingdom, and I do believe with all of my heart that we are living the last days. I believe that. The prophecies are coming true all around. As you look around, you see it. The fulfillment. Did you know in the in the in the creation originally, the earth did not have to have the help of fertilize. It did not have thorns on rose bushes and blackberries and all of that. That was all part of the curse. 
Oh, by the way, my, my, my daughter-in-law, I know it's a little too late now, but ladies, it hurt to have babies because of sin. The Bible said when, when Satan duped man and, uh, mankind into sin, which brought death, actually, it brought the separation, he says that the man is cursed, that in the sweat of his brow he would till the ground all the days of his life. He didn't have to before. Things just grew. Isn't that something? But now you'll till the ground all the days of your life. Brothers, we have to get out and go to work every day. Sweat every day. Why? Because of sin. Huh? He said, man, you'll till the ground the sweat of your brow and the earth, watch this, is cursed in that it will not yield its strength. Thorns and thistles will infest the ground. Now that we've got to put so much fertilizer and ammonia and nitrates and this and that and the other, and um, thorns are there to remind us. This is mycology. I don't even know if it matters, but you get stuck by thorns, it makes you bleed. It's a reminder of what sin cost. You know what I mean? He says, man, in the sweat of your brow, you'll till the ground, so you're cursed. And you're going to work. And, and the earth is not going to yield its strength. And thorns and thistles are going to infest the ground. And, and ladies, Eve, uh, in sorrow now and pain, you will conceive children and bear children. Wasn't supposed to hurt, but it is now. And every time a baby is born, it's a reminder to us of what sin caused. And to the serpent who used to walk upright. You, how many of y'all seen the gecko on TV? I don't know if he was like that or not, but anyway, he says, watch this, upon your belly now you shall crawl all the days of your life and eat the dust of this earth, and man will bruise your, I'll put enmity between you and the seed of a woman. In other words, hatred there. I don't know if, uh, a snake is probably the most hated of all animals. He said, they will bruise your head and you will bruise their heel. Are you hearing me? I won't tell you. There is going to be a day when God's going to reverse all of this and the curse that has come upon the earth. Did you know nature changed? The tiger was not a carnivore. There will come a day when, when the wild beast will, instead of chasing another antelope, they'll eat straw like an ox. Y'all with me? That's right. The Bible says in the eternal kingdom that a little child will play on the hole of an adder. That's a venomous snake. A you, I would never let my grandbabies hang out, you know, right there with a diamond back. But in the eternal kingdom, have at it, friend. Play. Be all right. And you even, he's all right, don't worry, he's harmless. In the eternal kingdom, the, the, the thorns are going to fall off the roses. Are y'all hearing me? That you could dive into a patch of berries. Are y'all hearing me? That things are going to be different and God's going to restore it back the way He originally intended it to be. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at harborwc.com.